This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. This episode is brought to you by SRB Field Rests. Your shotgun, bow, or rifle is an extension of who you are as a hunter. Whether you're hunting snows in a muddy mess of a field, mallards in the marsh, or whitetail from a ground blind, SRB Field Rests has your back. A local Kansas company that provides an easy to use, simple, and ergonomically effective solution to just awkwardly holding onto your gun or your bow when you do not need to. Allowing you to have more freedom, comfort, and safety in the field. Enter discount code FOULFRONT at checkout for 10% off your order of any SRB Field Rest today. This episode is also brought to you by Oak Barn Beef, a direct-to-consumer, family-owned farm that delivers high-quality, DNA-tested, dry-aged Nebraska beef from their family to yours. You can select from a wide variety of boxes. My personal favorite is the Husker Beef Package, which combines jerky, ground beef, steaks, and a brisket. These packages are perfect for families, get-togethers, out-of-town hunts, or for you outfitters looking to upgrade your table fare for your clients. Order yours today at oakbarnbeef.com. And what's really important is that we band together, we speak with one voice. And I'm like, you sure? Because I've got two kids, I don't want it to ruin your hunt. You're like, yeah, yeah, just come and hunt with me. Just take your time. Like I said, it would have killed a normal man, but I'm not normal, but you know. When you said, why do you want to talk about that? To me, it was kind of like, oh my gosh, there's so many different factors that go into this decision. Enjoy it for what it is. Every moment of it. You're only going to shoot one duck. Welcome to the Foul Front Podcast, part of the Waypoint Outdoor Collective. Hey, Foul Front, it's Hannah from Oak Barn Beef. We're giving away a box of steaks, jerky, and more premium beef exclusively for the listeners of the Foul Front. To sign up, head over to foulfront.com and click on the Oak Barn Beef Giveaway tab to enter into this giveaway. Thanks, and we can't wait for you to try our Nebraska-raised and dry-aged premium beef. All right, welcome to the Foul Front Waterfowl Podcast. And this week, uh, you can if you're if you're not into this, you can turn it off. But we're doing Deer Week. It's Deer Week on the Waterfowl uh, Podcast, and I am joined today by my good friend Ian Burrow of uh, Powder Hook and the uh, engineer and talent behind Public Pursuit. Ian, how are you doing? I am well. How are you, Ben? Doing great. Doing great. So, 
Ian, what what's going on with you? Well, I am currently trying to catch up on sleep after spending the last two and a half weeks of whitetail hunting. Um, and when I say whitetail hunting, what I mean is waking up at three every single day, driving an hour to park, hiking a half hour to sit uh, or scout, whichever, and then calling the timeout a few hours later to jump back in the truck, drive another hour back to town, work for a few hours. Uh, if my boss asks, it's a full eight, and then jump back in the truck and drive back, park, hike 30 minutes to sit. Uh, and then get home around 11 and then repeat that every single day for two, two and a half weeks. So um, I'm in recovery mode right now. Good, good. Does your wife recognize you? <laughs> yeah, she does. We're, uh, she's happy it's over. I can tell you that. Good, good. I'm going to ask you to do something awkward and maybe a little bit difficult here. Um, just for the people that don't know. Uh, what's our relationship? How, you know, who, who are you to me? What, you know, what am I to you? <laughs> Let's see. Ben to me is the guy that I can call when I have a duck question uh, or a goose question. And, uh, and I don't mean to water down a relationship that way, but that's kind of how I, I think it started. Uh, was I saw Ben as a reliable source of information as someone who could mentor me in this journey I'm going down as a hunter. Um, and since then through that, through his starting from his podcast, through us talking to then us getting to the point where we had each other's phone number, it's kind of like, I guess it sounds like a date thing, but yeah, um, it's like an online, it's an online yeah. dating thing, yeah, yeah. but we, we've sealed the deal. You know, we've, yeah. uh, we've, we've, we've had beers at old Chicago, you know, first date, <laughs> um, second date is going to be what opener of, uh, of the late zone big duck right yes next week next okay. week yeah man yeah i am yeah. looking forward to that but yeah so that's that's my relationship with ben um was i sought him out for his expertise uh or my perception of his expertise and it's just gone from there yeah we share we share some similarities uh in in a little bit of background uh occupation or uh, previous occupation or, or whatever uh military stuff but um, Ian's the guy that I can say, Hey, what do you think of this? And he's going to just, he's going to tell me it sucks or he's going to tell me, ah, it's good. And he's going to tell it to me unabashedly. And I, that's a very appreciative thing and a friend. So that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Ian. So what, what's public pursuit, man? So public pursuit is a project I started last year. Uh, last year is my first year to I'm not going to say dive into hunting because I'd started hunting a few years prior. Uh, I killed my first deer and I was 21. haven't looked back ever since. Um, but last year, I, I ended up drawing a tag for every species in Kansas. And Kansas is, is where I grew up and where I ended back um, after my stint in the military. And when I realized what I had, which in my, my eyes was a very unique opportunity, I wanted to document it um, as a way to share that with my friends and family and um, something. A way to look back, you know, I'm a millennial, uh, I don't do scrapbooks, uh, but I've got Instagram and Facebook and stuff. And um, I set out to document my journey to try and hunt all these things I had tags for. Uh, so for those of you who aren't from Kansas, um, that is everything from antelope to mule deer to whitetail to elk, snipe, sandhill crane, crow, uh, squirrel rabbit. I mean. It's a pheasant, prairie chicken. I mean, the, it's a pretty lengthy list, and it was a pretty uh, big endeavor that I set out on. Um, and at the time, I thought, you know what? I'll go for it because I don't know when else I could do something like this. And didn't harvest everything, uh, but I can say that I've hunted everything but Sandhill Crane. I didn't get to that. So that's still on the list. But um, this year, I, I'm taking all the lessons I learned from last year in uh, the public piece on the title of public pursuit that's because i'm doing all this on public land uh, i don't own a bunch of land actually i don't own any land uh, i don't have family with land i didn't grow up hunting uh, so public land is where i hunt uh, predominantly and so this year now i'm taking the lessons learned from last year i'm focusing my efforts i'm not hunting every single species uh, but i am hunting 
what I'd say is like one of each. So waterfowl, big game, upland, all those different types, small game, all the different types of hunting that you can do in Kansas um, and a few actually outside of the borders of Kansas. And so this year I'm stepping up my game in the sense that I caved and I bought a real camera um, and I'm trying to have a little bit higher production quality. And again, if nothing else, it's just to document for myself, for my friends and family, and then something to look back on in a few years. Um, and then the last part about what I'm calling volume two, which is this year, is my biggest goal out of all that is that I take some time out of my hunting season and I work with at least one more person to try and create a new hunter. Um, and that's that's my focus this year. So I want to, I don't think my pictures or my stories or my videos, I don't think that's always going to be able to entirely influence someone to try something new um, or convince someone who doesn't hunt to go hunting. Um, but if I can take someone personally and show them why I do what I do and why I love what I love, then maybe, maybe there's a chance that uh, we'll have one new hunter buying a hunting license next year. And that guy this year uh, is John, right? Yep. His name is John. How is that going? Tell me, like, how did you find this guy? How'd you pick him? So, I put out a blanketed alert across as many channels as I could through the wildlife department, through groups and companies that I work with, through friends and family. And... What surprised me is I didn't get as much of a response as I was expecting. I really you thought- You thought you were going to have to filter people out. Yeah, I really did. Um, and especially because I've partnered with Cabela's, Bass Pro, and Powderhook to do this. So, uh, this is a an all expenses paid, um, learn to hunt trip that's over the- I shouldn't say trip, learn to hunt journey from start to finish from what kind of stuff should you wear? Where should you go? How do you shoot a bow? Uh, or how do you shoot a rifle or a shotgun or whatever, um, yeah. plus the, the hunting trip itself. And then how do you cut it up? How do you cook it? How do you preserve it? All that kind of stuff. Um, so anyway, responses weren't that great. So I finally, I hit the phone book and then I was scrolling through and I was like, who could I call? And believe it or not, I was in the high school orchestra and I called my old high school orchestra teacher. I called the high school. I said, Hey, does John still worked there. I said, yeah, we'll connect you. I said, John. I said, Ian Burrow. I said, Ian, I haven't talked to you in a long time. I said, John, it's great to talk to you. I've got a harebrained idea for you. Hear me out. How would you like to learn how to go hunting this year? And that's how it started. Um, and it's been really interesting. And he's, uh, he's a good guy. We get along really well. It's also been really fun to kind of connect a decade later after high school. Sure. And talk about you know, what's school like now and what we've been doing ever since. Um, but what's also really interesting about this and him is that this guy is, he, he breaks the mold, uh, which I'm happy about. Um, the guy typically votes Democrat. He's got views on gun control. Uh, he lives in the suburbs. Uh, he's a high school music teacher. I mean, when you think of a hunter or you think of any advertisement for hunting, in the outdoors, like you would never, ever, ever picture not this guy. Yeah, it's not reaching this guy. No. And right. that wasn't necessarily the intent when I called him. Uh, but I like how that's played out and how it's been really fun to explain and teach all these things that we know or we do as hunters to someone who's never had any context of it whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really, uh, it's a really noble slash kind of an interesting proposition. Hey, man, you want to go, let's go hunting. I'm going to like, I want you to commit to this thing. Uh, so how is, you know, since you found him, how, you know, what's his, uh, can you give us any sneak peeks into how his worldview has changed or not? Yeah, I can share some. Uh, we're, we're wrapping up production right now and, and uh, those videos and that story will start to come out uh, in about a month or so, uh, just in time for the, the rifle season here in Kansas. Uh, but, but John has learned how to shoot a bow. Um, and that's, truthfully, that's probably his favorite part. He loves coming home from work and like putting the kids to bed and then going in the backyard and 
shooting pony arrow arrow, or yeah, yeah. yeah um he really likes the the fact of that you can't just pick it up and do it that you have to practice 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 and how mm. you know if the wind is such or you know your arm is such a way or whatever you breathe a certain way you're not going to shoot the same and it takes a lot of practice so he loves that um he's also destroyed more arrows than anyone i know which has been a logistical nightmare because it takes a little while to get arrows made that are the right fit um uh, like hitting the fence or like double driving arrows, you know, cause those are, that's two different things. Everybody, I think everybody that's shot more than a thousand arrows knows that uh, you pick different aim points <laughs> on the target. Right. I did teach, I did teach him that. Um, and truthfully, I don't know the story on all the missing arrows or all the broken arrows. That's just like every time I went over to his house the past few months, he's like, Oh, by the way, the fletching on this is torn or, or the knock on this fell out or cracked or it's like, what are you doing? I mean, I honestly don't know, but I guess that's just yeah. part of it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, like, I mean, he's using them. He's using them. Yeah. So. Um, let's see in terms of how he's viewed hunting. Um, he said that we, and we've talked about it in depth. Um, a lot of it met his expectations in terms of, there's a lot of, sitting and waiting mm-hmm. um because this i mean this isn't like a western mountain spot and stock kind of thing we're doing a we're doing a deer hunt or did a deer hunt yeah uh, eastern deer hunt right? yeah uh so that met his expectation but what's probably the thing that's been really interesting and uh i don't want to say life-changing but perception changing has been and we've talked at depth on like why you can only shoot a buck one buck versus multiple does and how that changes by where you're standing geographically and the funding mechanisms that go into um, public land and wildlife and state employees um, and then how things that are that land isn't just unfortunately in 2019 land isn't just always perfect for wildlife yeah Um, so talking about like how how people specifically within the wildlife department work to manage the land to provide um kind of a mixed bag of access opportunity habitat population density um finding that happy medium between all these different things so that you have a chance to go hunting you have a place to go hunting uh, but the wildlife aren't um the numbers aren't retrograding uh yeah so I, I suppose we should we should have had should have had John on for this, but was there anything that he found that you perceived that he found as like kind of shocking throughout all this? <laughs> there is one. Um, it was uh, when we butchered and processed a deer, and it wasn't shocking in the context of like, oh no, blood and guts. Um, it was shocking how much effort goes into that and time, mm. and. We, we set a, a time to do it and get together. And I said, no, John, it's going to be a while. Um, he said, yeah, no problem. Let's do it. You know, after the kids go to bed, let's start at nine. Like, John, this is like, it's going to be a long night. He's like, oh, I don't mind. I don't mind. We'll stay up late. It's okay. I don't mind. And I got home at 4.30 a.m. that day after. And I even showed up like an hour and a half early to get the garage set up. Yeah. You know, and... When we got about what four hours cut up or something, it was what nine, ten, eleven, twelve. It was about six because we did, the, yeah, we did the whole gambit. Um, because it's not, it's really not cold enough, um, yeah. to just let your deer hang. So we had to yeah. go through, so we did the whole thing. We skinned it, um, butchered it up, and then did the full processing from steaks to sandwich slices to jerky wow. to ground yeah. Oh, okay so I you mean, did ground and you did sandwich slice okay yeah i get you yeah yeah because because for me one i wanted him to see all the different things you can do with it um but two like in six months i don't just want to eat hamburger like i want to be able to go in my freezer and have choices like oh, do i want to make a stew tonight with our kebabs or uh you know all the different yep. choices totally so, agree okay. so that was probably the most shocking you got a, you got a sandwich slicer Yep, I got a deli slicer. I'm gonna call you. Yeah, I use it's 
it's so helpful i've done i made well we'll talk about it another time but i made goose prosciutto and that's what made me buy the deli slicer okay all right okay man so all right let's talk about your deer harvest this year and before right. we and before we do that i want to kind of like set the stage here so I think that it's perfect that you and me are talking about this right now because I think we have yin and yang stories uh, with with deer season so far this year, and I think it's really great to highlight uh, both of those. And so I think we're going to do that all in this one episode. And so we're going to start off with your story um, of the deer that you got this year. So let's walk walk me through that. Okay, let's see. Um... I am proud to announce that I killed my first whitetail buck with a bow a few days ago. And I started bow hunting last year. So I'm, I'm still very young in the bow hunting journey. Uh, but it's been a goal for quite some time. I've, I've killed a buck with a right. The first buck I killed was a rifle. The second was with a crossbow. And now my third is with a compound bow. Um, and I've, like I said earlier, uh, I hunted for two and a half weeks for whitetail this year. And and I explained kind of what that day looks like. Um, and after about day three, at least for me, I start to s- begin to struggle mentally. Um, and it's something I do every time I hunt. And I, I don't know how to quite work around it yet or if I ever will. But I set out on a hunt, whether it's, you know, whitetail or ducks or whatever the case may be and i have a game plan and i apply the the known variables you know like okay i know that deer are going to eat i know they're going to sleep i know they're going to walk um and then i set out and i scout and um i start looking for all the puzzle pieces to put together so where are they eating where are they walking where are they sleeping where are the rubs and scrapes and all that kind of stuff and when you feel like you got the puzzle put together or when I do, when I feel like I got the puzzle kind of together to an extent that I can sit down and have a shot opportunity. Uh, and then it doesn't happen. I mean, the deer doesn't show up or they show up somewhere completely different way on the other edge of the woods out of bow range. Um, it starts to really bother me uh, after about three days of that. Cause I start, it's just the way my mind works where it's like, if I apply these inputs, then I'm going to get this output. In theory, right? If I do the right things, then you succeed. And that's a harsh reality of hunting is it's not always that way. And that's probably what brings me back to hunting constantly and why I love it so much is it seems to throw a lot of logic out the window at times and it seems to really challenge me. And so anyway, hunted for two and a half weeks and I was like, I mean, I was reaching a snapping point. I mean, I'm running low on sleep. I'm not eating. Um, not not like I'm so stressed I'm not eating, but like I get, <laughs> I'm like so focused on what I'm doing. Cause it's like, okay, today's the day. I don't have time for breakfast. I'm just going to get this done. And there's probably something to be said for that. That's probably like the wrong mentality, but truthfully it's after a few days, I start to, that starts to creep into my mind. And at the end of two and a half weeks, I'm like full blown crazy person. And my poor wife is just like, why don't you just take a break? You don't understand. I'm trying to shoot a deer. So, um, anyway, uh, that's the, that's the lead up. Uh, and I was talking with some friends at work and they said, Ian, like you're going crazy. You just need to shoot the first thing you see tomorrow. I said, well, yeah, that'd be great, obviously. But I articulate that because of what I'm about to tell you, which is so, that's just crazy. It's the, it's hunting. So I'm thinking about this and I'm, I go home and I get all my stuff ready and I go out in the morning. I think, okay, Ian, you're just going to shoot the first thing you see. The first thing. Doesn't matter. Just going to do it. And the wind was not in my favor, which for anyone who hunts whitetail, I mean, the, the wind is huge, right? They're, I don't know what the number is, but a whitetail's nose has like 10 sensors and a to put that into context, a dog has like one. Right. And we, all, and we have like a half. Yeah. Not even. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not even. So. So, um, I pick my spot and that's a, that's a 
the trouble of sitting in the morning as you go in and it's dark and you, you eventually have to make a decision of, all right, I'm just going to sit here and see what happens. And that's what I did. Uh, it was a spot I hadn't sat in before. And are you using, right a, are you using a climber or? So ground? I typically hunt off the ground and on this day, which maybe this is the variable that I've been missing. Um, I did have a stand with me. And so I threw it up in tree and sat up there. And but like I said, the wind was wrong and uh, I was pretty fuddy-duddy. But right at uh, legal shooting light, the biggest buck I've ever killed walked within 10 yards of me. I mean, it was like right as the clock changed. I mean, it must have been a minute or two. He appeared and he walked face forward, like facing me, walked towards me and leaned down to get something to eat. And I said, well, Ian, you said you're going to shoot the first thing you saw. So let's just get this over with. And I shot him and it was uh, about a textbook double long shot. He took off about 40 yards and nosedived into the dirt. And I thought that's what happened. But then another deer in the direction that he ran blew. Uh, which is like, for those of you who don't whitetail hunt, um, whitetail deer will make a <laughs> sound. It's called blowing. And that is their way of alerting the forests of danger. And so when I saw that and I heard that, I thought, oh man, I missed, which I've done before. So I was like, wow, knock another arrow. Of course, like, why not? Like, why wouldn't I miss? You're never going to kill a deer, Ian. You're horrible at this. And so. I sit and and because it was right at opening legal light, it's still kind of dark and I'm in the timber. Um, and another buck walks out. So I've now seen two bucks, uh, both about the same size. And I'm just like, oh, my, what is going on? Well, I guess I'm going to shoot this one and maybe I won't miss this time. And I'm so glad I did this. I took a moment to look around once more before I drew back. And that's when I saw the big white patch of the buck that I did, in fact, shoot and kill. And he was 40 yards away. And at which point the sun had come up more, so it was more obvious. So uh, I waited for the other buck to walk away and I climbed down and I walked over and sure enough, I shot a, he was probably three or four years old, uh, 10 points and half of his rack was jammed into the dirt because he nosedived so hard. And it was a huge... Like if you've ever seen Anchorman, it was a roller coaster of emotion, as Ron Burgundy would say, um, because I had this huge sense of relief that I could finally sleep and eat, um, and this huge sense of relief that I had done what I'd set out to do. I'd met my goal. In fact, I exceeded my goal quite a bit, um, and then I had had a good shot. Because in bow hunting, that I mean, all hunting, but in bow hunting, that's really predominant or yeah. prominent, you know. Yeah. Um, and then it was like a feeling of crazy joker hallucination of like, oh man, this is the biggest buck I've ever shot. Like, real excited. Um, and then it all kind of came full circle of like, oh shoot, I can't hunt a buck now. And it's a really interesting roller coaster of emotion for a whitetail hunter in Kansas. And I know there's other states and places similar to this where in Kansas, you can only harvest one antler deer a year. And you set out with this goal in mind, I'm going to hunt a buck. I'm going to kill a buck and it's going to be amazing. And you put in all this time and effort. And in my case, you get to the point of insanity because you just for me, I guess part of it's like my drive. Like I will continue until I succeed. Like no matter what, uh, it's just the side effect is I go crazy. And you get to that point and you meet, you have this opportunity, you take the opportunity and you execute. And then you have a moment of relief, gratitude, excitement. And then you realize that I have to wait a whole nother year to relive this experience. And it's, it's hard to sh to communicate that well to someone who hasn't done it or doesn't do it. Um, but I'm sure, well, I shouldn't say I'm sure. I know it's the same with, you know, duck season. Like when duck season comes to an end, it's like, oh, can't go duck hunting for a year or 
any season for that matter. Yeah, it's it's almost it is almost uh, for duck season. It's kind of a I don't know. I always kind of feel like okay, it's a relief, and then literally three days later, I'm like, I'm ready for duck season again. Um, like I'm just ready for it. Something interesting <clears throat> I wanted to point out, kind of about uh, your mindset. You know, you talk about you talked a little bit about all that pressure kind of like, okay, I looked at this, 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 and that. And uh, now I made this decision, right? And because of your inputs, you expect certain outputs, correct? Yes. <clears throat> What's uh, what I kind of think is interesting. And I don't, I remember being like that. Um, before I became a waterfowl hunter, I was a deer hunter. Um, that's what I liked to do. And I, I took it like super, super seriously. Then I went into waterfowl hunting and something kind of, I don't know if it, if it's age maturity, um, or if it's more of a, uh, something has re hardwired itself because I'm a, I'm a bird hunter now. Uh, but, uh, you know, I put, I go out and, you know, I am on private land and I go out and I have my, my games cams and I'm trying to pattern these deer and I move my game cameras around. I do certain work, all this, all that. And, uh, you know, I'm like, yes, okay, I'm going in. I'm going to, I'm targeting this buck. I'm going in for him tomorrow. Uh, or, or these two or three bucks. And I, but as soon as I get out there, you know, right before I get every I get step out of the truck and right before I'm about to take that first step towards my stand, I kind of think, well, it's all just a crapshoot for you. You're not a very good deer hunter. <laughs> <laughs> like anything that you see today is bonus. And uh, I kind of put all, you know, I have, I have all that hard work, but then it's like, you know what, man, all bets are off. Like you did all your work already. And now you are, now that you're going in there, it's luck. It's luck. Now you can't change anything. You've already made your decisions. You know where you're going. All you can do is be as quiet and sneaky as possible and get in there and then wait for whatever happens, happens. And I think that's a little bit of a cop-out, like a mental cop-out. You know what I mean? Um, because I can just say, ah, shit, that's deer hunting, you know, which I, which might be like a good, like safety mechanism for my ego. Um, but that's kind of how I feel about it. Uh, you know, as soon as I'm okay, Hey, I'm on, I'm on this glide path and there's nothing really I can do. Um, unless I'm like, I go too fast or if I be too loud getting into my stand and then up until I draw back, it's all luck until then. You know, despite all the work that I've, you know, put in to make these decisions, I still think of it as a chance sort of thing. So, I think that helps protect me and allows me to have like a little bit less, a little bit more enjoyable time in the woods, like waiting for the sun to come up. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? So, I get what you're saying. Um, And I think my, we have some. Hear me out on this. We have some similarity on that um, because when I set out, and so we're just going to talk deer hunting. When I set out to deer hunt, I set out for the gender of my tag. Mm-hmm. And so, in this case, something with antlers. And so, I am yet to reach a point where I feel comfortable placing a age or size on my goal. So, um, I've never set out with, okay, I, I want to shoot a seven year old, 10 point, 20 point, whatever, non-typical, whatever the case may be. I'm yet to do that to myself because I know it's only going to make it way worse. Um, so I think that's my, as you'd call it, maybe cop out defense mechanism. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm just happy to hunt. But that being said, I do have the goal of, okay, I'm setting out for an antlered deer. And so, uh, when I'm not seeing the antler deer or getting the shot opportunity, that's when it, it just really eats away at me. Um, sure. but I, I do like, I value everything that you just said. Cause I do think that is really important. You have to at some point, yeah, it, the stars align or they don't, and it is what it is. And you have to be grateful for the time and the resource. Um, but in my case, I think it's just, I'm so goal driven, um, yeah, the point that I was trying to make there, I think, is is that, yeah, you are, like, going in there and, like, you got a goal. Like, you have a – that's your mission, man. Like, your mission is in there. Um, 
and I think it might, I think it might tell out here as, as, as we, as we come full circle on this kind of story on, on what's going on. Um, but I, you're right. I, you don't have that kind of like cop out that I do where I'm like, Oh, I'm a bird hunter. Uh, and I'm out here. These are like the only two weeks I hunt. And if I get a deer, I don't, you know, one of those things, but, um, anyways, and I've, I've met guys. I met plenty, plenty of, I shouldn't say guys. I've met hunters, people that do have those more specific goals of a certain age deer, a certain inch antler, that kind of thing. Right. Um, and I understand that it's like to each their own, but for me, like this is the third buck I've harvested. So, and on anyone who's listened today or heard me any other time, like they understand that I'm still very new and young to hunting. So, um, I haven't set those types of goals before, but I get it. And I understand at some point that's, you know, maybe that's just somebody saying, you know, that's their goal. Um, but there's a lot of benefit and value in having that open mindset of, oh, we'll see how it goes. Uh, Cause it, it, I wish I could do that. It would really make my brain happier. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to tell like my story real quick. All right. So I've been patterning uh, this group of, there's four bucks that uh, are on the property that I, that I, that I, I hunt. It's private property. Um, it's like, it's not very far from my house at all. Super great setup. And so there's these four bucks I've been kind of watching for the last uh, month. And I'd say, you know, any one of those walks in front of me, I'd shoot it. And there I was, I, I made my decision based on the wind and the the trail cams. I said, hey, I'm going to go set up on this oak tree that I have. And uh, so I go and I get in there around, um, you know, I set up by six. I like to get in there about an hour before everything and kind of let everything settle down. And I also knew that these bucks had been moving. Um, they'd been moving in there around 630. So I, I definitely wanted to to beat them to the general location. So I get up there and uh, not expecting much um, just because I hadn't seen them. When I did the card pull like two days before that, I hadn't seen them for maybe like two or three days. At any rate, long story short, this guy ends up uh, making his way into um, my one of my shooting lanes. So I draw back on him and he steps behind this tree and he's just there forever. And so I, I let down, uh, I had already drawn and I drew on long, the, the gist of this is I drew on this buck three times. And so by this time, like my adrenaline has like kind of stopped. You know, I, I've, I've, I've had enough. He's been around me for about 15 minutes. I've drawn on him three times. Um, I'm, I'm calm now. I'm good to go. Uh, I'm kind of in the zone and I say, okay, make a good shot. And, you know, albeit I'd been probably flinging about 20 or 30 arrows a week for the, ever since oh, April, probably I have 20 or 30 arrows a week. And, uh, whether that's, you know, in the basement, close drills or like actually at distance, 60, 50 yards. Anyways, this buck, he's at 20 yards um, and I'm in a 12 foot stand. And, um, so I, I draw back on him. He's finally out in the open. I let it go as he puts his, uh, you know, the shoulder that's closest to me. He opens it up. Whew, I let it go. And I think, yes, freaking good hit. He turns and I can see the arrow sticking out of him about six, eight inches. I said, that's ah, not good. Uh, then I heard this kind of crash go off about maybe 20 or 30 yards away from me. So I said, you know what? I'm going to sit here. So I sat there for 45 minutes. Uh, I didn't hear anything else. And okay, I need to go check on see, see what's going on. I uh, did my cursory, uh, you know, 50, war 50 yard walk to where I, I kind of hit him, found my arrow. My arrow had been, it was broke off about seven or eight inches um, from the, the broadhead. And then there was blood all the way up to the fletching. And I said, oh, that's a, ha, that deer's dead, right? Uh, so I, I didn't want to give it any more. So I got out of there. 
and waited uh, three or four hours. And then I called some buddies, you know, Alec Fair and uh, some of those guys. And we went and started walking the woods about five hours after I shot this buck. And we found one blood spot and uh, two blood spots, really. Nothing. Nothing. And I've been out in those woods, uh, you know, every day after work from after work till just about dark. And I haven't found anything. Neighboring properties, nothing. Um, I haven't seen him on, on camera yet, but I, I'm thinking that I snuck it in underneath of his, uh, underneath of his shoulder and that it didn't come out, excuse me, that it didn't go through a lung and maybe came out as brisket or something. But, uh, I, there's nothing. And I've searched like <laughs> a good three mile radius, uh, for, for crows and vultures and, um, coyotes. I just, I can't, I don't know. I'm and I, I'm kind of hurting right now, and I got this internal struggle. You know, is is he dead? Is he not dead? Is he hurt? Uh, is he all right? Is he gonna? You know, what's the deal? And it kind of leaves you with this weird let off. And uh, you know, there's a certain amount of shame. There's a certain amount. Did I not prepare enough? You know, probably not. Um, took my bow in today to the to the bow shop and got it checked out and. Yeah, there was some tweaking issues that, you know, I, I figured out a little bit. and But uh, all in all, I, you know, I don't know what. And I've got a free day tomorrow. I want to go deer hunt. Am I meat hunting or am I bone hunting? Is he alive? Is he dead? And uh, I don't know. What are you, what are you, what's your take? Well, I have lived through a very similar situation last year. Uh, and after that experience and with talking with friends and even a game warden, um, my mindset of your situation is that, uh, you don't have proof of a dead deer. So therefore you have not killed a deer and that can be argued, uh, understandably, but, um, from my viewpoint, from a. I guess like a hunting ethics standpoint would be that if you have beyond a reasonable doubt exhausted all efforts to recover something that you shot at and you don't recover it, then you have done your part as a hunter. You Now, if that's how you put a timeline on that, that's that's a gray area. But if mm. you feel comfortable in the day, say, okay, like you said, you've, you've looked every day this week, you've had buddies help you, you've checked cameras, you've looked on neighboring properties. I mean, at the end of the day, like these animals are hardwired to survive. And so that's the direction I lean is that you've, you've, from my standpoint, you've put in the time and the effort to follow through on what you did and you haven't recovered a deer. So I would have no qualms with shooting a buck tomorrow morning if a buck walked in front of you. Yeah. You know, and I, I called the game warden and this was a, I want to say something about game wardens. I, I think a lot of people will get a kind of jerks to game wardens um, in, in when they're not in their presence, you know, oh, the game warden should do oh, dang game warden. So, you know what? I have not had a negative experience yet, yet with a game warden. Uh, and that's, uh, that's to include like, even when I was like an 11 year old and we were out like paintballing on some WMA or something. And, uh, he took all of our paintball guns and laid them out and said, you know, I could take all these guns, blah, 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 blah. And then walked us around and explained to us what a WMA was, uh, which was a pretty cool, you know, experience. And then, but anyways, so I called, uh, one of my local game wardens and I said, Hey man, I, I kind of want you, you got a, you got a minute? He's like, yeah, yeah, I got a minute. And uh, I was like, I, I kind of want to explain the situation to you and kind of get your take on it. Not just from the the law side, because I've already asked, um, you know, I've already looked at that. I know what the law is, um, but uh, kind of wanted his, uh, his take on it morally and ethically. And, you know, so I explained that I laid the situation out and he goes, well, he's like, I, I couldn't conch, you know, in good conscience ever write you a wanton waste ticket. You know, 
um, for the the amount of effort that what you've said you've put into finding this deer. He goes, it sounds like the only thing that you haven't done is taken like a blood dog out and try to find this thing. I said, yeah. And he goes, which is, you know, that's on, that's on you. He goes, he goes, my personal, you want, you want to know what I would do, Ben? And I said, uh, yeah. And he goes, my own ethics say, if I, if I draw blood on a deer, um, he goes, that's, that's my method. Like I have somehow impacted that, that being's ability to survive. Um, and he goes, that's it. He goes, I touched the deer with my arrow. And uh, that's a mental tag out. And he goes, however, you know, within the letter of the law and, you know, a certain, he's like, I, he's like, I would just, if I were you, I'd go look one more time, find out who you, who you are and what you think about it. <laughs> and he goes, um, but, uh, you know, if you think that there's a dead deer out there, just be done, man. You're good. If you don't think that there's a dead deer out there, go, go on, get, get your buck, man. He goes, it's a carcass tag. You don't have a carcass. And, um, so he said, so go, he goes, maybe go look one more time, find out what you think about it. You know, what does your heart say? And for like a game warden to tell you, what does your heart say about the situation? It's kind of an interesting perspective, right? Yeah. It's not what I would expect. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so it is, I think, you know, I have some souls. I think tomorrow. I'm going to shoot a doe. I think I'm just going to shoot my doe and then uh, I'm going to wait and see if uh, he pops up on my camera and uh, or if I see him again, I will shoot him. You know what I mean? Yeah. And he's got a very characteristic uh, rack on him. And so I would have no qualms. Obviously, that would be the ideal situation is if he walked underneath me. But so, yeah, if anybody's been wondering, like, where was the Monday episode? It was because I spent so much time. I was I was literally doing my due diligence trying to find this damn deer. And um, I don't know. I, I'm i going to blame myself for not putting in enough reps on my bow. Whereas I, you know, kind of had a little bit. Of, I'm a pretty good shot with my bow. I sit out there and I'm drilling, you know, uh, you know, inch. Uh, targets at, you know, 30, 40 yards feeling good, but it's just, you can't, you still have to have the trigger time. Yeah. Um, bow hunting is really unique in that aspect. Um, I feel like I can say this because I have a very vast depth of experience with firearms. And that was the first, first time I killed a deer was with a rifle. First buck I killed was with a rifle. And I worked my way backwards and I used a crossbow and now I'm using a bow. Mm -hmm. And that actually wasn't intentional, just kind of how it happened. But if you shoot a deer with a rifle, the velocity and the physics of that round impacting on that animal, granted, it can still live, but you, your margin of error is so much bigger than with a bow. And I think that's what attracts a lot of people to bow hunting is how close you have to be and how deadly accurate you have to be. So I'm not trying to say that you're not a good um, archer by any means, but it's just, it's an interesting thing to note and to share with people like this right here is just a huge, huge, huge part of bow hunting. Like you miss and you can't chamber another round. You can't always, you know, knock another arrow. Like you may be yeah. able to do it a rifle. Um, or you don't have that perfect lung shot or that perfect heart shot, or maybe you whack them in the butt and they just, for whatever reason, fall over and die. Like it's just wild. Right. Um, but so it's just, uh, it's just a harsh reality of bow hunting that makes the successful harvest so gratifying when you think about all these things. So when you, you know, the next time that you've been hunt with a bow, a deer, and you connect and you end up bringing one home, like you're never going to, like this is this conversation right here, you talking about um, looking for this particular buck, like it, that will be so prevalent in your mind. And for decades to fall, like you're never going to forget this. And you're never going to forget it when you go in the backyard to practice shooting your bow or getting your bow tuned or 
the next time you hunt. Every yeah, time you hunt. and that's the thing. I've never had this happen to me. Usually, I'm always just like 10 yards away. There's the deer. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, all right, yep. Blood trailing. What the hell's blood trailing? You know? Um, but, uh, you know, let's double down on like kind of the negative experience. You remember that thing I was texting you about with my hunting property? Yeah. Oh, my God. So, guys, <laughs> and I, I apologize if if you're listening to this and you're my the other guy that has permission on the property that I have. Uh, <laughs> man, I'm a little upset with you. I'm a little upset with you. Um, and so, right after this is happening, I'm out looking for this deer, right? So, I always uh, – there's a rancher that also, you know, he's got – He's got paid rights out there to rant, you know, to feed his cattle. And I keep good comms up with him. And I'm always like, hey, man, uh, when are you, uh, when are you pulling deer off or when are you pulling uh, cattle off? Uh, do you need any help? Hey, by the way, there's a section of fence that's down. Do you want me to go out there and fix it or you want to have one of your guys fix it, et cetera? Hey, I saw one of your cows that's got a limp. I'm always, always texting this guy and calling him about, you know, and he's like looked at me as like an asset. Um, and we've had a lot of amicable conversations. Well, anyways, so in the course of all this, I'm out looking for this deer, right? I get a phone call. I'm at work. And um, no, no, I wasn't at work. I had just picked up my wife because she had had uh, her wisdom teeth taken out. And she's really bad on anesthetics. So she, it was kind of like taking care of a big baby. Um, and I get this phone call from the rancher. And I, hey, what's what's going on? And he's like, Hey, and he's like yelling at me and I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And he goes, if you guys can't keep that gate shut, you know, I, I got cows. I got, you know, a certain amount of cows. I, whoa, 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 what's going on? It turns out the other guy left the gate open and like, it doesn't matter if there's cows there or not. I don't want anybody like coming onto that property while I'm there. Like, even if they have permission, you know, um, so I always lock the gate behind me. I pull in, I lock it, and then I go park up just out of sight so nobody even knows I'm there. Because I don't want people like, oh, hey, I know that truck. That guy's a bow hunter. Or that guy's a duck hunter. I don't want him, I don't want him like seeing that I'm parked there. So I pull up into like this grove of trees. Uh, and uh, so I'm just super frustrated because the rancher is really upset that this gate was left open for like five, six hours when he has a couple of cattle still left out there. And it's like, this guy is this his first year having permission on this, per, this property. And the, the landowner asked me if it's okay. And I said, it was okay because, you know, he's a dad with like, you know, two kids. And it's like, oh man, I've been working this property for like three years and like creating all these great connections. It's like one left open gate can like, jeopardize everything and that all happens right after i i miss this one of the bigger bucks i've ever seen and um just terrible week <laughs> i'm going back to bird hunting man <laughs> well you know, i gotta wait a couple more days and you can that's true that's true nope this is uh this is my last weekend i think for deer hunting or serious deer hunting um i might do a couple weekday weeknight hunts um but yeah, what, what's your take on the on, on that little side story there? Well, I know the landowner relationship thing is tough to maneuver. Um, the only experience I've had with with landowners has been my in laws, so I have a whole another dynamic I have to work through there. A uh, <laughs> little bit of tension at times. <laughs> Sure. Um, so I, I, I get what you're saying when you talk about like this is a this is a long play, like building those relationships, and especially because you have multiple stakeholders, right? You have the landowner, you have the rancher, and whatever else may go on on that property, past, present, future. Um, and then you know, helping a buddy out. I mean, I get that. Um, people ask. I mean, people have asked me to hunt on my in-laws' property. I'm like, that's a that's just not a can of worms. I'm ready to open. Yeah. Um, oh no. Let I me specify. Let me specify. I didn't know this. I don't know this other guy from Adam. He had sought out permission from the landowner 
And the landowner said, well, you're going to have to ask Ben because he's the guy that I get. Oh, I thought you guys were like bros. No. And that's okay. All right. Gotcha. Interesting. No. Yeah. So the Uh, landowner, he approached the landowner and said, hey, you know, I'd I'd like to go hunt you. Well, you'll have to ask, you know, Ben. And so then he asked me and he said, would you mind? And I, so I kind of vetted the guy. And of course, you know, my bleeding heart, he's a dad, doesn't have time to go out. And all this Nobody stuff ever does. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so I, you know what? Yes, let's do it. Let's team up, you know? And so it was good. I mean, it's so good. I'm not like, I'm not like soup. Like you won't burn his house down, but you might leave a can of gasoline in the driveway. We can recover. We can recover. <sighs> but I'm just frustrated because like I got that phone call and I was so nervous and like mad and like, it's like, I want to hunt this place for like the next 10 years and I'm not even going to live here. You know what I mean? Like, I want to take my daughter out here someday. Like we're going to hunt our deer in Nebraska and then this will be the place we come to hunt deer in Kansas, you know? Yeah, that's tough. Well, okay. So, and I already told you this, but knowing you, you'll be okay. You'll sweet talk your way back in. In fact, they'll probably throw in extra land while they're at it. Like, ah, oh, Ben, you're a great guy. Here's another thousand acres and a tractor. But <laughs> Um, as far as this other guy goes, see, that's, I've never really had to think about it, but that's tough because you want to be mad, but people are people like, I highly doubt the guy intentionally left the gate open. Right? Like, I don't really see a world where a hunter goes out and says, man, there's nothing I hate more than a bunch of cows and leaves a gate open. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like. You know, and you've been tired when you've gone hunting. Like you said, he's dead. He's probably worried about his kids. You, you know, for all we know, his kid got sick and he was rushing home or I don't know. Uh, that's just probably a tough conversation that you have to sit down and talk about. But I also think from the outside looking in, that's a conversation that needs to happen with everyone involved. Like doing the ring around the rosy of like, well, call the rancher and then call the landowner and then call Ben. And then I think that's as a... Uh, inconvenient as it may be at times um i would want to sit in the same room as all those people and talk about it because that's going to be the quickest easiest way to work through any friction yeah problem is though is that's you know when you're a deer hunter and you are on a property that the taxes get paid from the cattle that graze there right Mm -hmm. um you are you're kind of you're a beggar you're a beggar in that situation, right? What are you bringing? Now, you you have to bring what I try to do is I try to be an asset. I provide the rancher valuable feedback on his, uh, you know, his herd and things that might be going, you know, I've found dead cattle for him. I've found low spots in the fence for him. Um He's right now, he's looking for two cows and I've been, you know, giving him the game cam pictures and running out there, keeping my eye out just so like he knows that, oh, okay, yeah, this guy's not a hindrance to what I'm doing out here. In fact, it's actually beneficial having a hunter out here, you know, somebody that keeps an eye on the land, kind of the warden of the property, which is exactly what the landowner thinks of me as. Um, like I'm the warden of his property. Like he's got a problem out there, Ben will go fix it. Oh, he's got a problem out there or like somebody need something, you know, or like, oh, hey, um, I want to have this group um, of dad and sons go out and fish on the pond, but I don't want to give away the the code to the to the gate. Will you go unlock that gate for them and then lock it back up when they're done? You know, that, that kind of thing. I think that's uh, what you have to do or what you should expect to do. Uh, if but you're- the problem is, is this first time that you're a problem. It's just easier to get rid of you than it is to have you. And so <laughs> it's like, well, they can't keep the gate closed. They're done. You know, and right. now, fortunately, I think that I have the relationship with the landowner um, and I think the rancher for them to weather that. I don't know if this other guy does, you know, even though I'm the guy that's getting yelled at for it because, you know, the warden of the property or whatever. Right. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I feel slightly responsible for this other hunter's actions. You know? So maybe that's maybe that's the takeaway um, is to make it abundantly clear 
if it ever happens again, make it abundantly clear to the rancher, the landowner, any other stakeholder that it's not your property um, and you should not be the one making the decision of who has access. Like, um, and of course, hindsight's twenty twenty. but I'm thinking had I been in the situation, I would have, if the landowner's name is Steve, I would have said, Steve, I appreciate that you trust me enough to make a judgment call. However, comma, this is your land, man. You, I'm not going to say yes or no. I'm comfortable with having other people or having another hunter share the property. That being said, I want you to make that decision, um, especially since, I mean, since you didn't know the guy prior. So, yeah, well, the, the other thing too, um, kind of, you know, come back around to this is <sighs> implied and specified tasks, right? Yeah. 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 You know, I find a gate and it's closed. I'm going to go through it and I'm going to close the gate. I just, if you're listening to that, like always just be better than everybody else on that property. You know what I mean? Walk lighter, (laughs) pack, pack a piece of trash out that ain't yours. Um, You know, make you, you have, you have zero claim to the land. Um, and you just need to be the best steward and just show that you're the best, uh, caretaker of it. So lessons on how to improve society by Ben. And just all that coming off of just a bundle of nerves. Yeah. So, but I'm going out tomorrow morning. I'm, I'm after this, after we get out, I'm, I'm going to go in. I got, uh, you know, I'm going to recite in my bow. Um, kind of from scratch. I'm going to put about 500 arrows down, down range tonight. Alec is coming over. We're going to do some, some shared shoot, shooting. He's going out West for some muleys. I'm going to go hunt this property tomorrow morning, but uh, we're going to get everything recited back in and double down on everything. And hopefully uh, tomorrow I can pack some meat out of the woods. Yeah, that'd be good. Yeah. Well, good. Yeah. Hey, well, I'm glad that uh, you, this is our first, you know, deer week episode, you know, kind of like shark week, right? Like this is like deer week um, on the foul front waterfowl podcast. So I'm glad that you could be a part of it. I'm super glad that you have your deer down. Um, where can people see all this footage? So this is going to come out and or parts of it are going to come out and um, starting early November and it will be available on Cabela's website bass pros website uh, as well as their youtube channels and their social media accounts so if you follow cabellers about or bass pro in any avenue um you should be able to see my smiling face with a, a big beautiful white tail and a bunch of other really cool stuff not it's, well, it's not like, just about me it's only like 10 percent of you smiling right like the last 10 percent Right. The rest is just like pure misery yeah. and the anguish. And they're like, why do people want to go hunting? Oh my goodness. This are, guy's we, are we going on? We need to go on an elk hunt next year. You and I. Okay. I mean, that's not a hard sell. I mean, I you just fill in the blank of the animal, follow it up with hunt. And I'm going to say yes. We'll go. We'll go. We'll just eat ramen for like seven days. Um, hey, I got a quick ramen tutorial. I'm glad you brought that up. So in all my wisdom, Right. Years and years of wisdom. Uh, I took my grandfather's Stanley thermos, which mm. I still use to this day all the time. Keep stuff hot, keep stuff cold. It was built in like 1950 something. It's like solid steel. It weighs 100 pounds, but it works. Green. Yeah, it's green. Yeah, it's green. Yeah. Yep. Anyway, um, on a hunting trip, I thought, you know what I like? I like ramen noodles, but I don't want to take the time to warm up the water, mix in the stuff, get the noodles juicy. Uh, so, going to apply some of my NASA level thinking. I'm going to take this thermos that I'm calling BS, man. Warm, <laughs> and I, uh, I cook like five packages of ramen noodles and I pour them all into this thermos. So I'm like, Ian, you freaking genius. And I'm picturing myself, I'm like fast forwarding in my mind. I'm like out in an open field and it's freezing. And I just open this thermos and I have this warm ramen noodles. Turns out if you do that, the stuff gets all congealed at the bottom, plugs yeah. the entire thermos, 
and then you go to take a sip and all you get is like juice juicy watery it's so that's uh that's your psa yeah it gets stuck and then you have to like shake it out and then a bunch of noodles fall on your so apparently you already do that yeah i did it in my yeti last year and yeah yeah not good (laughs) but but now i know and i think about it every time i see ramen noodles in the store i think you you know what i do though okay so i bring two yetis with me right when i go waterfowl hunting and one yeti has one yeti has uh coffee in it and i'm talking not yeti coolers (laughs) uh i'm picturing like a 70 quart uh, yeti cooler full of coffee (laughs) just ladle it out what it does no so i got coffee in one and then i don't put the noodles in there but i take two beef ramen um like the little salt packages Mm -hmm. i put that in the other yeti and it's like drinking hot broth and like it's great warms you up gets you like it's kind of like soup but that's what i do i I mean i i like it so yeah i'm gonna say that's weird oh man weird well yeah if you don't have the noodles i don't know that's just weird the noodles are the unhealthy part man well i don't we're not here to talk about what is or is not allegedly healthy we're here to talk about what tastes nice when you're out hunting and you're cold some hot broth man i don't know that seems weird to me hot what do you broth. do with the noodles you just throw the noodles away or do yeah, you well waste i give them to the dog i'm just kidding yeah they go in the trash well all right okay what am, what am you, i gonna do i don't know because you're mixing they all the, the flavor they with water the, they don't sell the freaking like little sauce packets I don't know, man. Maybe you just need to take a Yeti cooler and make a Yeti cooler size worth of ramen noodles. Yeah, but th- like we said, they all get stuck in the box. All right, we should end this podcast. Um, yeah. Ian, thank you for coming by today. Um, this was good. And I will, I hopefully will have another little second um, little recording that I'll clip onto this at- tomorrow morning after a successful deer hunt. And We'll call Deer Week complete on the Foul Front podcast. Fantastic. All right. Thanks, Ben, and everybody. Have an awesome right. rest of your day. Next time these folks will hear from you. Well, actually, pretty shortly, because I think we're going to do a little segment while we're out in the blind. Might as well. Yeah, we should. You know, when in Rome, and I'll be able to further critique your broth. Yeah, that's right. We'll try that. We'll try it out. So, All right, buddy. Yeah, that's right. We'll try that. We'll try it out. So, all right, buddy. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Foul Front Waterfowl Podcast. Please come join us on our Facebook group, the Foul Front Waterfowl Podcast group, where you can connect with a good group of hunters because we're all in this together. We need to act like it so that hopefully our great, great grandkids will be hunting ducks over our favorite public lands. Uh, We also ask that you go ahead and give us a written review on iTunes and give us five stars if you think we deserve it. And we really do want to hear back from you uh, so that we can give you the best possible content. And if you get in on that Facebook group, you can get in there and you can ask questions and you can tell us what you want to hear next or you can tell us uh, what you don't like. And we'll be sure to tailor things to our listeners. So, all right. Stay safe out there, and we will see you next week.